Welcome back to the 5e podcast. I'm your host, Tom White. Today, we are joined by none other than the man himself, Neil Mitra, Principal Product Solutions Architect for Industry Products at AWS. Our first time that we've had someone from AWS on the show. Neil, welcome. <laughs> Thank you. And I'm super excited to be with Mr. IoT, finally. I was dreaming <laughs> about the day. So glad to be here. Thanks for having me, Tom. Really appreciate that. You're very welcome. You're very welcome. I think when we spoke uh, originally through the Analytica report, uh, I kind of reached out to everyone that was featured as, as a, like a who's who in IoT. And uh, I always remember our first conversation. You were like really bubbly and energetic and passionate. And I remember, say, I remember saying to Katie, our head of partnerships, we must get Neil on the pod at some point. So we really appreciate today, that. Thank today, you so much for having me. You're very welcome. Today's the day we're here. So... Um, so as usual, let's get into it. Uh, can you just explain a little bit about your background, who you are as an individual and how you ended up at AWS? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I grew up in India and I did all my studies over there, uh, worked a few, uh, few years in Calcutta, which is like the eastern part of India. Hmm. Then I moved um, to US in 2007 and after I landed, I lost half of my name. So my parents gave me the name of Indra Neil, but I lost Indra because no one could pronounce it. So I'm Neil. So I stick <laughs> to that. <laughs> um, so I had been living in the New York area for last, you know, 15 years or so. And I had been working for Cognizant, uh, which is a global consulting at that time. So I spent there like 12 plus years, you know, in different roles, starting from developer to solutions architect to a business analyst and also like a senior manager, I had a lot of global responsibilities of you know, people management and PNL and whatnot. And then it was always a dream for me to work for a big product company. Um, and I started exploring and I was fortunate that Amazon kind of uh, allowed me to be part of that family. So I joined Amazon Web Services in 2016. And since then I'm here, I had been you know, primarily focusing on uh, automotive customers, consumer side, industrial customers as well. Although my background with Cognizant had been more on the financial and healthcare customers. So I tried to kind of, you know, learn about a lot of the industry verticals as I can. Um, so yeah, like uh, super uh, interesting. And I learned so much we call at Amazon, you know, it's not one year, but it's actually one dog year. <laughs> so six years uh, at Amazon, it feels like uh, probably, you know, six dog years for me. Yeah. Um, yeah, pretty cool. And I had been, uh, you know, working with a lot of OEMs and tier ones in the automotive space on connected mobility, V2X. Uh, in addition to the industrial and the commercial side as well. So I'm super excited today to talk to you about some of the cool automotive stuff uh, that is coming up. Yeah, well, thank you for that. Thank you for the overview. Um, I think for me, automotive is a passion of mine as an individual, right? I've always been into cars, into car tech. <laughs> uh, so, you know, to get into this is great. And I think as a, as a wider group, we're doing a lot more in automotive now. Uh, clearly, there's big... Uh, massive seismic change, right? Yeah. As as yeah. we as we look to to end 
the internal combustion engine and, and, and diesels, uh, you know, certainly here in Europe by 2030 and 2035 for plug-in hybrids, uh, a colossal amount of work that's going into this, right? So uh, mm-hmm. interested, to, interested to know from an automotive perspective, you know, roughly what you're doing at AWS, just, just how you're involved in these different kind of angles, Neil. Yeah, yeah. That's a great question. And, and you know what, like, not being super biased, but <laughs> to be honest, no other industry is undergoing such a massive technological change as automotive. There is one side of powertrain electrification. So we are talking about a lot of EVs, of course. But there is also this whole you know, silicon chip shortage that we have seen during the pandemic for last few years, right? Mm-hmm. So there had been also a trend of moving automotive from more of a electric, electronic, mechanical kind of device to more of a smart device that can take advantage of a lot of the high performance compute that had been there in the data centers, a lot of the best practices and the architectures that we have learned with enterprise customers. And generally we break it down into four different buckets. You know, when we are talking about automotive and the four mega trends essentially, one is connectivity. So yeah, like you can unlock your door remotely, you can start you know, the remote engine remotely, you can check your trip data and those kind of stuff, right? And with 5G coming, there will be a lot more opportunities on the connectivity space, like what you can do and do not. Um, autonomy, we are all dreaming of the day when we can just sit in a car, watch Netflix and Prime Video, and our yeah. wives. I love how you it. said. I love how you said and Prime Video just said. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> Amazon Prime Video. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the whole Coca Cola Pepsi thing going wrong, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And our wife can do shopping, and the car can drive itself. So it's like a self-driving car. So there's a lot of yeah. investment going on the autonomous side. Then the ride sharing, which changed our life. Like I still remember those days. I call a taxi, and they say, "Hey, it's reaching you in five minutes," but you were waiting there for fifteen minutes. Uh, so yeah. Ubers and the lifts, how they have changed the whole commoditization um, for for the auto industry, and then the electrification we started with, which is needed for clean energy and sustainability, yeah. and you know, for our next generations, we have to do something for. Uh, them for the world for the climate change uh, yeah. so those are kind of the four mega trends uh, tom yeah so Welcome thank you on. for that yeah i mean it, that that's that's a lot right and it's a and, it, and it's a lot that's going yeah. on at the moment and we're going to get into that a, a lot more during the episode uh just before we, we we get into the kind of state of the industry as it is today in your view just want to let some of the viewers and listeners uh, be aware that you've actually co-authored and published a book intelligent workloads at the edge uh there's going to be a teaser halfway through the episode for everyone listening so there's something coming up with this definitely stay tuned on that um and also you co-authored a couple of courses as well so let's let's get that in there so that people can know so co-authored of the developing iot applications uh at aws uh co-author of industrial iot fundamentals again aws and these are available online is that right uh edx and udemy coursera is that correct that's correct. Yeah. So, you know, I got, got this opportunity and thanks to Amazon for letting me evangelize and educate more customers uh, because we always say within Amazon, there is a one-to-one relationship with the customer, but you also have to scale and how you can scale yourself and reach out to one to many customers. Right. And that's where like our partners in the, in the educational space, like Coursera and Udemy's and 
you know, the edX had been like phenomenal in helping us build this educational courses, which are not just theory, but a lot of hands-on as well. So that's mm -hmm. where we're enabling more customers to learn, to get things done, get their hands dirty, and also like eventually get a certificate if they want from the certificate platform. So it can shine yeah. on the <laughs> So that's good. Yeah, that's thanks good. for <clears throat> highlighting no, no. that. You're welcome. We'll, we'll drop links into into the comments where this is posted, etc. So can, people can go and look at your courses, right? Um, yeah, you you know you've obviously put a lot of effort and time and very knowledgeable about this. So uh, it'd be good for, for people to check this out if you want to learn more. Uh, so so going back to these four major sectors, right? So um, there's obviously those are kind of the, the key trends and, and what you're involved in. I mean, what what would you say? uh you know is 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 the kind of state of the industry today obviously it's in a bit of flux there's four right. major pillars here yeah what are the, you know what, what is the state and what are the main challenges that we're kind of facing <clears throat> yeah so in terms of the state first um so if we like refer to the analysts which we all kind of trust like in terms of connectivity if you think about idc uh, they have said like there's a worldwide connected vehicle shipment forecast to reach like 76 million units by 2023, which will be all connected. If you think about autonomy, um, looks like by 2035, the automotive industry is going to, from BCG, drive down the revenue from the scale of the vehicle and they will place a lot more emphasis on managing costs in terms of the self-driving vehicles, right? Uh, ride sharing, I think we all know that has changed our world in the last 10 years. So we are all in love of the Ubers and the Lyfts and based on Moody's, like um, the car makers are trying to seek and produce a lot of niche products to keep on attracting those different customers. And uh, that will going to continue. And in terms of electrification, I know like we have a lot of the automakers and the tier ones already have electric cars. Of course, Tesla was the state of the art. But after that, like every automakers today are focusing on that and there will be an estimated $260 billion over the next five years to launch more than 200 new EV vehicles. So it is super exciting what is happening in all of these four different mega trends. And these trends are essentially forcing the entire industry, especially, you know, the CXOs to rethink their brands, their mm. business, the way they operate as companies to optimize their top line and bottom line. So shifting from just a car manufacturer to actually becoming a software-driven mobility company. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think that last line from a car manufacturer to a software-driven mobility company is, yeah. is, is massive, isn't it, right? You yep. know, it's, it's such a tidal change in exactly. how businesses operate and, and how they go about doing things right I think yeah. I've mentioned this on the pod before and I, and I say this quite a lot I mean Gary Gary Vaynerchuk has often talked about businesses becoming a media business first yeah right yeah. so you're media first and then you 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 produce other things right you do other things and, and in a way that's kind of how this podcast came about right because we do exactly talk about stuff but that transformation in the car industry is is phenomenal so what what are AWS doing about this is it is are we are we talking about software divine vehicles what what does that look like today? Yeah, you know, like AWS's role is to essentially help customers innovate across the entire value chain of automotive, right? That's like the North vision. Um, and the way they do it today is, of course, we have our hyperscale cloud infrastructure that offers the broadest and deepest set of services and solutions to make 
that a reality and accelerate the customer's journey on how they can innovate every day. Also, one of the Amazon philosophy is to take advantage of all the different investments right, that we had been doing on behalf of our customers for the last two decades. So if you think about like Alexa in automotive, or if you think about like the Fire TV, or if you think about Amazon vehicles, Amazon Key, like Audible, these were all the different investments that we are doing in the auto sector, in the you know IVI side of the world, infotainment side of the world. <clears throat> and we had been learning so much from our industry veterans through those collaborations and strategic partnerships. So I think Amazon will continue to invest in all these different areas where we have invested. And in addition, as you mentioned, yes, software defined vehicle, that is one of the major focus for us, how we can help our customers to shift from a typical automaker, as you just mentioned, mm -hmm. to become a more software driven mobility company, which essentially means you have to transform everything starting from your manufacturing to supply chain, to your pre-sales, to your production sales, and how the vehicle essentially operates from day to day. So we are here to partner with our customers, you know, in all these different areas and help them innovate um, in the next <laughs> years to come. Yeah. Yeah, I I mean I know it's 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 amazing and and you know <clears throat> it's widely spoken about some of AWS's you know uh, partnerships right some massive partnerships that they've got with the car manufacturers but for for people that don't understand or people that are sat here thinking well what you know I I know what software defined networking is but what's software defined yeah. vehicles right yeah what, quick 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 un, quick kind of like two minutes on what what would you say an actual software defined vehicle is how how would you uh, kind of determine that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and that's a great question because a lot of my friends, when they hear about like software defined vehicle, they're like, do we not have enough software in the car? Like I have Apple Play, Apple CarPlay, we have Android Auto, like what else are you talking about? Um, so when we talk about software defined vehicle, I like to say software defined things as well. Uh, because I'm an IoT guy, um, because it's a huge thing that can do a lot of different stuff. But giving a little bit of history, when we see vehicle, the way, way they have evolved in the last 40 years or so, initially they had been all electrical and mechanical play, right? In the 1980s, there was an introduction of electronics and software for the first time that we started referring to as ECU or electronic control unit. And in the last four decades, that one electronic control unit or a piece of software blew up to 100 plus ECUs on the vehicle. So more and more electronics is coming into the vehicle. And that was being referred to EE architecture or the electronics and electrical architecture. And when I talk about all these ECUs coming into the vehicle, it's not just on your infotainment system, it's within the vehicle the way the car operates in terms of the you know powertrain domain and we'll talk more about that or in terms of the body of the car for example when you are remotely unlocking a car that means it has to do something on the body of the car because there is an actuator which essentially unlocks your door right mm -hmm. so that means you need a lot of software that can talk to different modules within the vehicle and that's why like a software defined thing and vehicle is and the cool yeah. thing is it's not only a commercial vehicle problem, right? There is 
like the autonomous uh, agriculture there like could be the delivery drones there could be like the robo taxis there could be like the military uavs which can take advantage of this entire software defined things and finally it's called also like the vehicle 4.0 just like in the industrial world we love, love to say industry 4.0 and that will help integrate with the cloud ecosystem unlock the data you can do so much similarly software defined vehicle for, for our IoT friends here, if it's easy to remember, you can think of it as the vehicle 4.0 as well, which is going to transform the entire architecture of how a car operates. And it's not just limited to the infotainment system. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a fantastic way to explain it, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I get that. And I think people need to understand that, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, if you go back 50 years, the amount of microchips that were in a car, yeah. Uh, it was quite small. And if you look down, there's literally hundreds, if not thousands for everything, as yeah. you mentioned about, you know, unlocking the door, right? There's literally everything. It's not drive by wire anymore, right? And, and, right. and that's even without the EV side, right? And the fact that there's, uh, you know, a mechanical element to it. Um, what are the challenges? So we, we, we kind of spoke before and in our notes, we spoke about um, ECU, so electronic control unit challenges and the fact that there's lots of vendors, etc. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah, sure. So firstly, I also need to like, um, I think I need to share a little more about the vehicle uh, with our IoT friends here again, um, that if you think of vehicle, it's essentially a rolling sensor platform as well, right? So think of how many sensors that gets into the vehicle. You have the lighters now, you have the radars, you have the cameras, you have different ultrasonic you have infrared, and then you have all those sensors related to, hey, is there occupancy? Is there like the temperature working fine? Is like I have the right ambience and whatnot? Then accelerometer and the gyroscope. So there are so many sensors that exist in the vehicle on different parts of the vehicle, right? Um, so what happens today is, as I was mentioning about ECU, there are millions of lines of embedded code that exist in a vehicle that can support all these kind of different uh, you know, sensors and the actuators through electrical and electronic architecture. Now, the challenge, as Tom mentioned, is it's so fragmented, right? All these ECUs come from different tiered partners, which the OEM sends specifications to. And once they get those ECUs, the OEMs will essentially go through an integration and testing. And finally, it will be put into a vehicle as part of SOP, after which you get the vehicles. And it's a long process. That's why you cannot get cars every year, just like a smartphone. It takes at least five to seven years because there's a huge supply chain and procurement of all these modules ECUs and other components, hardware and software that needs to be part of the supply chain and integrate into the ECUs, right? So to avoid some of this problem, what the automakers did is they started using something called a domain architecture. So rather than outsourcing saying, hey, vendor A, B, C, D, E, you take one or couple of ECUs each, let's talk about domains now. So I will have an infotainment domain and the instrument cluster domain, right? That probably is outsourced to a set of one or couple of vendors versus I have a powertrain domain which helps me drive over electric or combustion or whatever it is. Then I have an ADAS domain which helps my car to drive safely on the road. So we are moving from isolated ECUs being outsourced and developed by different partners 
we are moving to a domain-based architecture where it has been more consolidated and it makes the OEM's life easier because now they can get a domain, they can integrate those domains and, and that kind of works, right? Mm. But even then, that happens today. The domain-based architecture happens today. But even then, you have a two to three-year kind of roadmap, at least, for a vehicle to get into the design phase to when a consumer can actually get it. Right? Even with Tesla, if you if you think about it, you are not really get getting all the vehicles like every year. Like, of course, there's a lot of software updates happening, but it's not like the new generation of vehicle that is coming every year, right? So now the industry is moving to something called a zonal architecture, which is decoupling the compute and the IO. So a very similar, simple example is if you have a docking station on your desk, right? I'm sure you probably do, especially after yeah. COVID, we all have some kind of docking station. So what you are doing, you are putting all the USBs and all the Ethernet or all the other kind of SSDs in the docking station. And then you are connecting your laptop with a USB-C or something just to the docking station. You really don't care about connecting all those to all the different ports. Now, Apple doesn't give you that many ports anyhow these days, but, uh, but docking station makes your life easier. So same thing is going to happen in the vehicle. We're talking about, hey, all these ECUs that you need to connect to the domains, for that you need a lot of wiring that needs to be connected manually today. And that's a lot of work by the engineers because you need to have all those wearing harness and the infrastructure within the vehicle if you think of a legacy house maybe you bought an old house how the electrical architecture in that house is and now you build a modern house that is much more consolidated and zonal right so that's what is coming to the vehicle where you are saying that i have four zones and all my ios are part of those four zones and those IOs essentially communicates with the rest of the high-performance computer that is going into the vehicle. That way, I can save a lot of time in all this wearing. And guess what? Less wears you have, the cars will be lightweight, which means more fuel efficient, and which means less energy, which means we are more sustainable. Right? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a win-win once we get there, because just by saying that, hey, you are an electric car versus an ICE car, you cannot be 100% clean because there is so much energy that is getting wasted in, in some way within the vehicle that can be optimized in the future. Is, is that making sense, Tom? Sorry. Yeah. I, was no, no, no. I get really okay. passionate about this topic. So. I, I, no, I was letting you get into it. I think, I think you're actually, you know, 100% right. Guys, we have a very special announcement today in the episode. So Neil has kindly offered to uh, give a few copies of his book away, Intelligent Workloads at the Edge, uh, deliver cyber physical outcomes with data and machine learning using AWS IoT Greengrass. Um, this, is a, this is a fantastic opportunity for anyone that's in the industry from an engineering or development perspective to learn more around real life examples about what AWS are doing from the man himself, an actual employee of the business um, today, and for you to soak up more knowledge around what, what this can mean and skill set for you uh, moving forward. So my past, uh, some of the, the listeners and viewers, you guys will know that I've worked in Embedded and it's quite difficult sometimes to get books for people actually doing this at the moment. So again, I think this is a really great opportunity. Neil, do you want to just give a little bit of details about the book? I mean, it certainly doesn't hold back when it's delving into tricky subjects and I can, and I can see why you've written it. Um, what will people learn from reading this? Yeah, 
Yeah, you know, in my experience, as I was fortunate to get uh, to work with uh, different industry verticals, starting from, you know, as I was saying, consumer to industrial IFC to automotive, um, I started learning how important edge computing is, right? Of course, there is IoT, Internet of Things, where you are essentially connected to connecting to a cloud endpoint and doing a lot of things on the hyperscale infrastructure. But there are lots of use cases that is just for the edge. You have to solve, the, solve them on the edge. And generally, we talk uh, about three laws, right? One is the law of physics. That means still today, you have to go through that round trip latency so if you are autonomous vehicle and it's going to crash you cannot wait for that 100 millisecond round trip latency and make a decision you have to make the decision on the age in milliseconds and milliseconds right um law of the land which is the regulations there are a lot of industries where the data cannot essentially leave that specific facility like if it's a healthcare my data needs to stay in my hospital. It cannot even leave the hospital. So forget about your data center and and, and, and whatnot, right? Yeah. Um, and, and that's where we kind of started uh, thinking about how we can, me and my co-author, Brian Birch, he couldn't join today, but hello, okay. Ryan, if you're watching this. Um, hey, me Ryan. and my co-author, <laughs> uh, we thought that it would be a great opportunity for us to share the learning. Um, and that's why we kind of spent 12 months of our life writing this book. And thank you, Tom, for giving us the opportunity to share this book on your platform as well. But it will essentially teach you how to combine all these technologies of edge computing with data analytics and machine learning on the edge when you are completely disconnected from the inter internet network and make real-time or near-real-time decisions to deliver next-generation cyber-physical outcomes. So what we have tried, Tom, and you will give get a copy of this book as well uh, from me. Uh, but what we are trying to do is uh, we have tried to create a story that everyone can relate to. It is like a connected home story and in a connected home, how you can have different sensors and actuators. And if you have to build a certain platform that can still work in a connected home, even when your router is down, it's completely age-based processing because maybe your Wi-Fi is down and someone is breaking your windows and getting into. So your sensors are not able to notify you. How you can still take advantage of edge computing to make all those offline decisions as well. So it's a combination of a great storytelling, hopefully, sorry. It's a combination of storytelling and like real uh, architectural best practices and hands-on. So if you'd like, you can actually get hands-on with AWS IoT Greengrass, with data analytics, with machine learning models through Amazon SageMaker. So it's not just like theory, theory, theory. Yes, you learn the theory, but you also learn the architecture best practices. You learn what works, what doesn't work, like the trade-off. As a solutions architect, we always talk about trade-offs. And finally, you get a chance to get hands-on because there's code and the code is available on GitHub as well. Um, so yeah, long story short, I'll I'm really looking forward to you reading the book uh, or audience here and <laughs> give us feedback on how we can improve. Excellent. Oh, thank, thank you so much for giving an overview. And uh, so guys, that you're aware, so there's free, free copies and 10 discounted editions at 40% off the retail price. Uh, winners will be generated at random and announced and contacted at the end of the season. Uh, at the end of this year and all the details will come up uh, in the comments and in the description of the video. I mean, 
one of the things that we talk about here a lot on the podcast is like standardization, right? Um, and, and being able to make the connecting a lot simpler. So effectively what you're saying here is that you've, like, you've got so many different components, so many people talking to different things. Like what if you yeah. had a common user interface, right? Yeah. A way, a way to be able to do this and extend this further uh, than the multiple different facets and multiple different connections at the moment. And I think once you can simplify that from a manufacturer's point of view, it becomes then easier to roll out different cars and, and different configurations, et cetera. Because I think uh, the is it the WLPT kind of initiative recently around car manufacturing has sort of said that, you know, when you produce a car, you know, you, you used to be able to kind of like, you know, I want a heated steering wheel, I want a sunroof, yeah. now you can't have any of that stuff, right? And there's, there's lots of lots of regulatory changes coming into place. And, and I think some of, some of these things can be changed when we look at the heart and, and what you're saying. So I, I completely get that. And and I suppose this links on quite nicely, quite nicely, Neil, to kind of like cloud native development practices as well, um, you know, and, and the benefits of this in general, as you've mentioned, right? Um, so I think, you know, moving from this monolithic to microservices based uh, is a movement we're seeing, we're seeing a lot. So we talk about microservices, you know, certainly in automotive, BMW are talking about microtransactions as well, right? So every everything is kind of moving along to that uh, kind of pay-for-play kind of model exactly. and, and, and on that basis. So, it's a, it, you know, it's just a really interesting time. And I think there's a kind of coalescing at the moment of lots of different factors, mm-hmm. isn't there? You know, there, there's the technology side, there's how you buy, how you lease, how you run, how exactly. cars are figured. Do you think with the semiconductor shortage do you think that people have had to kind of change their kind of tact with this a little bit i know when i was ordering a car recently yeah <laughs> it took like 12 it took like 12 15 months right and then i still didn't get wireless charging <clears throat> right right and my car lease is uh, like i need to renew it in october and i have the same problem i cannot buy a new car that is not like super expensive so I asked my automaker saying, hey, can you just extend my lease for a couple of months? Let me see what else is uh, available in the inventory before I can commit to a new vehicle. So, so you are spot on, right? So what is happening today, because everything I explained, like there is so much decoupled, fragmented compute and the software within the vehicle it makes life very difficult because then you have to insource all these chips that can run, which are essentially the ECUs, right? On where, where on top of which you are essentially embedding your code and then giving it to your automaker saying, hey, go and plug it in into your vehicle. So now think of an architecture which is super simplified. And of course, it will take time. It will not happen overnight. It's next at least eight to 10 years. But think of a simplified architecture where rather than having 100 plus compute units or is using it, you have three or four compute units. Like mm-hmm. in the cloud, you have like high performance compute, like super powerful. And on top of that, you have the software architectures, which are cloud native, but not everything in cloud can work in the auto because it's still a constant environment. You cannot like scale from one server to thousands of servers in a minute. That does not happen in a car, it's in motion. So there are constraints in the vehicle that we have to think around. At the same time, you can simplify this architecture. You can make it similar to how you know we have started on the enterprise side of the world. It used to be like bare metal. 
We all know, right? We had been part of that world. It used to be bare metal. From then we said, okay, you know what? Bare metal, we are not able to scale enough. It's like a lot of physical servers to manage. Let's bring on hypervisors and virtual machines so that in one server, I can have 100 VMs that I can give to different developers. Well, that was good. Then we said, okay, VMs as good, but looks like we need more interoperability. Let's have containers. Then we got containers that starts running on the data center where you don't have to worry about the underlying hardware, underlying operating system. You just have a container, you deploy, you are good. Now these days we are talking about functions, which is serverless. That means you don't even need to learn about containers. You just write your piece of code, you package in a certain way, you deploy it, and that's your microservice doing something. So same thing, similar patterns, we, what we have learned in the enterprise now can come on the high performance compute, which is three or four, not 100 plus, which eases the whole supply chain, which eases a software defined coding mechanism, which eases more standardization because currently the codes are essentially fragmented, redundant, because they're developed by different vendors and they need to do all this heavy lifting of, hey, I need to plug into a PCIe interface, so I have to put all this logic myself. But with Zonal, you don't care. You just have an API that can talk over PCIe, that can talk over other kind of interfaces, that can talk to an abstracted set of sensors. It makes everyone's life easier and we can innovate more rather than you know having like <clears throat> all these chip shortage problems and other issues that we're having. So yeah, it's kind of a win-win, simpler architecture, more standardization, as you said, less redundancy of code and easier to manage to innovate for everyone in the automotive system. Yeah, yeah. And it's a and journey. It's a journey. It's a big journey, right? And I think doing anything to enable innovation to prosper more is a good thing. Um, yeah. You know, I can certainly see this being challenging, you know, with the varying manufacturers wanting to kind of work together in a way, right? You know? Yeah. Um, and and the, the, the competition fears that you might have over that. Uh, but 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 it's I feel like it's heading in the right direction. Um, yeah, yeah, as, yeah. A, as an overall movement. Trust. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, look, I think I think the work that AWS are doing, like from a hyperscaler's perspective on this, is is really good. Like you know, if it wasn't for you guys, let's be honest, like it probably wouldn't be happening to a degree. And it's kind of the glue that is enabling this to even do what it needs to do uh which which is which is fantastic i mean even if you look at aws as a profitable component of the amazon corporation i mean yeah. wildly wildly successful right you know yeah. like really successful and i think you know that's that's you know part of the reason why you're there right but but, but, <laughs> yeah. but, but equally how um you know how how all, the, how all these brands can work together um Moving on to, to something else, which, I, which I'm really interested to learn more about is uh, AWS's approach to uh, more connected vehicles integrations and the partnership with BlackBerry QNX as well. Um, so every, everyone remembers like Research in Motion and BlackBerry yeah. from a handset perspective. Obviously, that business has gone on a transformation in recent years. Do you want to talk a little bit about that, Neil? Yeah, yeah, sure. Absolutely. So... <clears throat> This is a great question because often customers ask us, okay, you are talking about a vehicle, but how? Like, how are you going to help us? You have a hyperscaler cloud platform, that's great, but how can you help us within the vehicle? And that's where we had a partnership with BlackBerry and QNX is actually one of the leading um, 
Artos, you know, in the industry supporting, I think, close to 200 million vehicles. So, so they're like a, you know, a huge player, one of the one of the leaders in, in this industry. And AWS is a leader in the cloud computing industry, as you know. So together, they join hands to provide what the industry truly needs, which is essentially in-vehicle software that can provide an intelligent vehicle data platform that can use machine learning. So a lot of the problems today, if you think about is, you do not have access to all the data being generated within the vehicle. There is no way you can offload that data to the cloud and kind of get insights on that to figure out, hey, is it a predictive maintenance that we can do? Or is there a warranty recall that is probably going to happen and I can forecast it? Or just that, you know, you need to know more information around all the different ECUs. It's, it's very similar to like in the industrial IoT, if I can use an analogy here, if you think about, you have all these PLCs and the sensors and actuators talking to SCADA systems and you know, MES, and then you have the historians, and they're in a completely separate network parameter, perimeter, right? And of course they have the connectivity to ERP and whatnot, but they like had been existing for such a long time, especially in the brownfield ecosystem. But then you have a demilitarized zone where you have some industrial gateways that you say, okay, I'll send the data to the cloud and do something on the cloud related to data analytics and you know fleet operations and factory operations and whatnot. But you really do not have a lot of control to collect all the data from all those PLCs and, 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 and whatnot, because of legacy protocols, different legacy mechanisms and whatnot, right? So same problem kind of exists in the automotive where, as I was mentioning, you have all these ECUs and then you have all these sensors and the actuators that might be talking proprietary language, that might be having proprietary code. So now how you essentially have an interface that can help the brownfield and the greenfield both Right. Of course, Greenfield is easier because now you can probably put a piece of software that can talk different kind of languages and you put an abstraction layer in the hardware as well uh, that can do the translation. You normalize the data, you do a lot of in-vehicle processing and send it to the cloud, whatever is needed. But it's very difficult with Brownfield. So long story short, with AWS and QNX, what we are trying to build is this intelligent vehicle data platform that can create different kind of abstraction layer and then normalize the data and then generate useful insights, not signals. You have the signals, but you need to get into useful insights using machine learning or typical algorithms that can eventually be offloaded to the cloud. And it will also enable you know, diverse set of use cases starting from you know, predictive maintenance, of course, to, you know, uh, like smart parking, smart payment, to vehicle monitoring and whatnot, because we've also enabled a digital ecosystem of partners on the automotive side, right? So um, that's kind of the vision. That's what we are working towards. And we are working with BlackBerry closely and various uh, automakers to make this a reality. Yeah, I mean, thank you. That's such, such a such an amazing kind of collaboration and being able to do that right you know uh like live to do it there rather than as you say going up to the cloud and being able to connect everything and i think you know the more and more that you can do with that is is amazing and i think you know from a safety point of view as well right you know i think you know being able to to recognize when there's issues perhaps with the driver you know um and and as we spoke as we spoke earlier, I think 
you know, human error will be the one thing that causes the problem later yeah. down the line with automotive, right? You know, exactly. we, we spoke, we spoke, we touched on autonomous driving, level five autonomous driving. You know, there's that there's that question there about what does the computer decide to do, right? Which is the lesser evil, right? Which people have spoken about, but but I think ultimately we're going to become the problem, right? Long term, right? yeah. <laughs> you know, um, and I think that that's really interesting. Um, yeah. And, and and yeah, sorry to interject, but you raise a very important point. That is another thing that differentiates a vehicle is a safety certifications. You cannot, so within a vehicle, there are safety domains and there are non-safety domains. So we call mm. it like mixed critical ecosystem. Mm. And you have to go through a lot of certifications and QNX had been building all these capabilities for a long, long time. Right? So we can learn from that experiences and bring the goodies of the cloud to the age, to the vehicle with all the software architectures, best practices, integrations and whatnot. And together we can enable our customers to innovate. But that's a great point. Like safety is something that is not a problem in a consumer device or maybe even an industrial device, like a life threatening situation. You have to deal mm. with those kind of stuff, right? So yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Well, it's, a, it's an added layer of complexity, right? Because yeah. uh, as, as you say, if it was a consumer device, it was something sat you know, sat on a table in the house, you wouldn't need yeah. to worry about it. But this this thing's got the capability of traveling 150 miles an hour, right? Yeah. Uh, you, exactly. know, you, need, you know, you need to really think about it. Um, I, I want to move on to, to Fleetwise. So, I mean, I know AWS IoT Fleetwise as a, as a, as a tool, as a set of uh, the suite products AWS uh, <laughs> have out there. A uh, quick overview on Fleetwise uh, for those that haven't come across it and, and what it is. Yeah, absolutely. So we like to call it like it's an open GL for vehicle data. <clears throat> Essentially, BlackBerry Ivy can help you generate all this great insights. Right? And even without Ivy Fleetwise can work, but it essentially helping you offloading a lot of the data that is needed to the cloud. So for example, if as a fleet manager, you have to list all vehicles where tire pressure has decreased more than 20% during the last 24 hours in New Jersey because there had been like a snowstorm or something, you can inform the vehicle owners easily, right? This is possible even through like each individual manufacturer, vehicle model, where, you know, you can encode all these different tire pressure signals differently, but then create an abstracted layer where Fleetwise can come and say, hey, it could be conditional, like an event trigger. That means you had a snowstorm. And that has changed based on weather conditions. It could find out uh, that, okay, now I need to send this to the cloud for machine learning training purpose or just a notification on, on, on whatnot based on recommendation from the AI system. Or it could be scheduled. It could be as simple as like, hey, every few weeks, I want to just schedule like what's happening with my vehicle acceleration. And if it is like a, Uber or Lyft is my driver who is driving the car, are they doing heartbreaks quite often, right? Or other kind of indications that can happen. So you can get all those different kind of data points, which was very difficult to get in the past. So in summary, unlock easily abstracted access to vehicle data so that we can democratize the access and enable customers to do a lot because it's the data age, it's the information age for everything. <clears throat> you can also reduce the data volume because it could be, as I said, it could be untriggered or scheduled. And now you have all this vehicle data, you can actually action it in near real time. So if you have a real problem with the tires or if you have a real problem with some ADAS system, 
rather than you understanding it while driving, the fleet operator or the dealership already knows about it and they can probably inform you, call you, say, hey, Tom, you know what? This is something wrong happening with your vehicle and you should actually try to make a leadership, uh, sorry, a dealership um, <clears throat> should come to the dealership tomorrow because this is like a time sensitive thing. So it's more, you know, predictive and enabling the, uh, you know, vehicle owner rather than being reactive and getting into a situation. And then you figure out oh, what I need to do. I need to call the emergency service and whatnot. So that also, yeah. you know, <clears throat> changes how we drive uh, like safely and, uh, and whatnot. Yeah, I think, I think, I think it's amazing. You're right. You know, um, being able to have that uh, ability to look at this in real time, uh, not relying up, and also not relying upon that driver to be bothered yeah. to go into the garage, yeah. right? And to be bothered exactly. to do that because because you know how many people drive around when their tires are, are bold or or, or or thinly wearing, or they drive around with a light out because maybe they don't care, right? Yeah. Um, and and I think that from a safety aspect is also really really critical, isn't it? So you know you you must go and fix it. So this is a problem. We need to ground this truck or we need to ground this or whatever. Um, exactly. And I think and I think Fleetwise is really really good at doing that. Um, and clearly, you know, there's secure data passing, getting this information up to the cloud and up to the people, uh, so we you know can't be hacked with transit, right? Uh-huh. You know, and uh, and for people to get this get this stuff. Exactly. So I think I think it's uh, I think it's amazing, and it's a, certainly a really interesting tool because a, a one of several AWS IoT. Cool uh, tools, right, out there. Uh, you know that that are out in the market with various customers, uh, uh, you know, across the across the planet, right? Um, in terms of the future, um, you know, we always like to talk about five years out, right? We always like to talk about where we're going in the future. What does that look like? Um, yeah. Future mo- mo- future mobility is software defined, right? AWS is accelerating that. I, I think that's clear to see. Um, what are we developing more? Kind of, you know based around AI and, and, and machine learning, kind of either at the edge, within the car, you know, what does that look like in, in your view, Neil? Yeah, yeah. So uh, essentially, you know, IV is our in-age ca- capability that we're developing with BlackBerry, right? So that's where you build all these synthetic sensors, which is essentially a virtual representation of the real sensor, uh, which sits on the vehicle. And then synthetic sensor is also like a piece of code. And that code could be a machine learning artifact. That code be a simple Python code doing some, you know, typical mathematical computation, right? And with Fleetwise, what we're trying to do, and there could be different other consumers as well. Fleetwise, we think, is like a data communication or data offloading mechanism for IV, where it can work in combination with IV, or it can just work on its own with, you know, different uh, automaker systems based on how they decide to move forward. But together, this is all an edge play. Right. So, for example, if you have, let's say, a location service that captures your GPS locations and stuff and you have a camera service, you can get all these different raw signals. You can do the sensor fusion and create the scene. And based on that scene, using machine learning, of course, you do trigger different kind of evaluations and you create useful insights that can be operated locally, maybe just on your infotainment system. Like, hey, my car was parked on a shopping mall, I was inside, someone came and hit it and they're gone. Now I have insurance liability, although I have no fault. How do you find that out? Yes, you can 
put cameras today. Some people do, some people don't do, which records for a certain period of time. And then you probably send it to the insurance later when they reach out to you. So it's a very long process, very reactive mechanism. But just think of the future where your car is there and probably you get hit. And all this intelligence within the vehicle, it already has a lot of cameras and the radars and, and whatnot, right? So it can already get all this data. It can do the sensory, sensor fusion. It captures the location of the vehicle where there is no occupants. That means you are not there. So it's not your liability. And finally, that can be sent to the insurance customer, maybe directly, right? Say, hey, this is what happened. Insurance, no fault of mine. Of course, that can be controlled by the vehicle owner, I think. I'm just giving a hypothetical situation. <clears throat> and it can even call emergency services. So all of these things can happen automatically rather than reactively. And you're like, oh my God, it's a $100,000 vehicle I purchased yesterday and now I have a big scratch and I don't have any clue what exactly happened. Um, so long story short, <clears throat> there'll be more and more intelligence that will be in the vehicle that uses the power of machine learning and data science and uh, it will like transform how the vehicle operates today. And as AWS will be helping with our customers, working with our partners to continuously evolve on this set of services, whether it's on the edge or on the cloud or on the Mac, like the network age, we're talking a lot about 5G. Uh, so it could be anywhere where it kind of transforms the way things operate. So we have a lot to do. <laughs> Yeah, wow. I mean, I mean, it's, I mean, it is, it is fantastic. I mean, in terms of, you know, the future, what that looks like, and being able to make decisions based upon machine learning there and yeah. then, uh, and the right decisions, uh, in terms of kind of just making it easier and enriching yeah. for the for the driver, for the owner, uh, or, or whoever's using the vehicle at that time, it's phenomenal. Right. Exactly. Um, you had the nail on it. It's a decision making faster using all the intelligence that we can build. And that can be used by the vehicle owner, a fleet owner, an automaker, a tier one. There could be like hundreds of different use cases that can open up if you have that near real time visibility to what is happening within my car across all these different systems like the ADAS and the power train and the body and the chassis and everything. Because now you have unblocked access to all those systems and the data point that was not available before in a useful manner. So spot yeah. on time. I mean, oh, it's, it's incredible. Yeah. I, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just thinking in my head, just as you're talking about that, certainly from a fleet-wise perspective. Yeah, um, yeah. You, you, let's say, for instance, you know, you, you're looking at a monitoring on a car or what have you, and now you've got the ability to upload that real-time to a cloud. You can then reference it against, you know, a thousand other cars that might have had that issue exactly. at some point. And to find out the issue at you know at that precise time, right? Exactly. So you've got, you're not just on that one instance. So there's there's so right. many benefits in being able to do it exactly. and leading from a software defined approach. So yeah, yeah and you can create all these campaigns, right? Especially with the EVs, we're always scared. At least I am. Like, hey, is 300 miles charge enough for me? And maybe you are sitting on a traffic and your charge is going down, 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 down. And the only way all this EV batteries can be, you know, improved if they have more and more data points in terms of all these anomalies and different patterns, right? And today, yeah. all the battery management system that is going into the vehicle, I don't think they have all those kind of visibilities. So with intelligence on the vehicle, with something like IV and fleet-wise, right? On a fleet of EVs, 
with an automaker, you can run a campaign. You can say, okay, what is happening on my batteries? Like, is it a problem in a specific geo? Is it a problem in a specific set of models? Is it a problem with a set of specific vehicle owners? And you have all these insights based on which now as a EV manufacturer, you can say, okay, this is a problem with my batteries that I need to work on. So there are a lot of, as I say, there are a lot of use cases and you, you, you hit the nail on it. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's amazing. I think I think kind of getting near to the end of the show. It's just been I, I, my brain is just so active on this. I, there's so many different things I want to ask you, but I think in terms of for those listening, key takeaways. I think uh, software defined uh, mobility, vehicle. right? Was that software defined vehicle? We're yep. moving towards that. Um, AWS have got some fantastic partnerships across various sectors, specifically as well. We're talking about BlackBerry Q and X and the IV platform. Yep. Uh, Fleetwise to be able to upload information as soon as possible to the cloud near real time situations happening okay. in the cars. Um, you know, Neil, near the end of the show, we have some quick fire questions. Awesome. Um, and uh, we say this to everyone. In fact, they're usually different questions. Although I think in the in the pre production when uh, when Katie put this together, I think she used the same questions. But I let her off that. She's been very busy recently. Um, okay. <laughs> so, so sorry to our viewers and listeners who may have heard the same questions, but at least it's someone else. Different <laughs> uh, Neil, who's your biggest inspiration and why? Um, I think I have two inspirations, okay. biggest inspiration. Uh, I don't know if two can be biggest, but both of them are kind of equal. One is my mom personally. Uh, the way she gave me all the values and uh, within a lot of hardship, she kind of stayed focused and made me the person who I am today. So I can never, um, I can never return what she did for me. Um, that was amazing. And professionally, I think Steve Jobs, you know, like okay. always look up to that guy, the way he have gone through ups and downs and still able to change the entire world for all of us. And when I still get a chance today, I, I listen to some of his videos from like when he was presenting at Stanford, I think, and Harvard and many other places, or his book, the biography, it keeps on like motivating me, like even with the lots of ups and downs in life, you should kind of keep on going and believe what you do, love what you do. Um, so yeah, I think if I have to choose the two biggest, it's my mom and and, and Steve Jobs. Oh, that, that's lovely. You know, we we asked that we asked that the other day, and um, I was a CTO of NTT, and he was saying his dad, and I think a lot of people say that, and, and I think that's really nice, right? You know, because uh, they are you know, what we kind of what, what got you here today, right? Uh, favorite te uh, technology use case. So either favorite piece of tech that you own, or or favorite kind of technology out there, which you just think is amazing? Um, I don't own it, but I want to own it, which is like the Tesla. I have driven it, you know, like uh, I've rented and driven Teslas and I really like the autopilot side of things. Um, yeah, I had been using like cruise control for a long, long time, the advanced cruise controls, right? But autopilot is something really, really cool that I want to own it. Um, so that's, and I'm an automotive, so I think it's not a very interesting answer, but, <laughs> but I'm really looking forward to the autopilot, uh, kind of days in the future where I don't have to drive. And that's a really cool piece of technology, which like is amazing. Um, yeah. 
Um, it's good. Final question. Uh, what advice would you give to, you know, your, uh, to a younger person trying to get into the industry, um, into, uh, into the IoT, into the automotive and the technology world that perhaps wouldn't know where to start? Yeah, <clears throat> I'd actually, you know, like to share one of my experiences, you know, when I started my career, uh, I was working on different set of technologies and suddenly there were like some trainings related to Java that popped up because Java was like shaping up at that time in India and everyone kind of knows Java and you have to know Java as well. And I had so many other things to do and I'm like, okay, I, I don't need to probably do it. It's of no use to me. But one of my managers at that time came and tell, told me that, hey, you know what, like, no all knowledge ever goes west. You never know when it will come, uh, that opportunity will come, and you might have to reuse that knowledge and do something. <clears throat> so I went to the training. I did not do much on Java for the next two years, but after that, I got this opportunity, which is one of the greatest projects I did. It was all based on Java. And it was like, okay, I did that training two years back. I don't remember most of it. But I do have a foundation now, top of which I can learn more. Um, so long story short, what I want to say to um, the younger people is if you are getting an opportunity to learn something, just learn it. You never know when it will come and you will need it. And in today's world, there is so much opportunities to kind of get to know things. Like if you go to edX or Coursera or Udemy or AWS website or Google or wherever it is, right? You have so many trainings, just YouTube. You can essentially do anything you want. You just have to spend the time, search for quality content and then start learning. Uh, so stay learn and be curious. And along with that, keep a healthy, humble attitude because I have also seen a lot of super smart people, but it's so difficult to work with them. So it's important in the longer run where you have a good attitude, where you can build healthy relationships because relationships matter in the business in addition to all the technology knowledge and the business knowledge that you're gathering. And a combination of all these three things, your technology knowledge, your business knowledge, your communication, your soft skills essentially, building relationships, keeping the right attitude, I uh, will help you go places. So, yeah, I'll stop preaching. I'm sorry. That no, was on top. <laughs> he booked me. <laughs> it's all right. Do you know what? No, it's great. I think, yeah, le learn the stuff. Soak everything up because you never know where it's going to take you, right? It's the same yeah. advice that I give I give my guys and, and girls in the office. So uh, that's fantastic. Uh, and, and and lastly, for our viewers and listeners, make sure, hopefully, by, by this point, you've heard the the midsection about the book away. Neil was kindly offered to give a few copies of his books away. Uh, details are in the episode description, in the comments. Here's a book here. Yeah. Uh, get involved, read it. On that note, uh, you never know where the information in the book that Neil has produced is going to take you. So get involved, Thank guys. You. Neil, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast today. Really enjoyed it. Super insightful, a subject close to my heart, and you've been an absolute great guest. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Let's do a virtual high five. Boom. Boom. <laughs> Thanks, Neil. <laughs>